Today's reading is John 4, verses 1 to 30. It can be found on page 980 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, as we come into this room, so many interesting and different stories are represented. There are stories of hurt, 
that are on the surface this morning. There are stories of um, loss. There are stories of regret, but also stories of joy, stories of thankfulness. Some of our stories are so mixed with so many of different emotions and experiences um, that sometimes we don't even know what to focus on. And as we sit here, we may be coming excited about all these things and eager to sing a song that says, this is my story. And others of us may sit and, and just frankly, in our minds, this is not my story yet. Maybe it once was, maybe we wonder if it will be someday. And from all these different places, we, we look now and we look for you to speak words of grace. Please join us and meet us in this time so that even though we sit here more fragmented than we want people to know, more of a mess than we care to admit, your grace has come to us to say we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined, even though you see our mess. Meet us with that grace. Now we pray. Amen. Um, there's a book that a psychologist wrote about uh, human happiness. And uh, the book is called Flow. Anybody heard of it? Heard of flow? Do you got your flow on? Are you in the zone? Have you hit your sweet spot in life? Flow. This, this is, let me just quote this guy. Uh, I can't pronounce his name, so I won't even try but. This is flow. He says, imagine that you are skiing down a slope and your full attention is focused on the movements of your body, the position of the skis, the air whistling past your face and the snow-shrouded trees running by. There's no room in your awareness for conflicts or contradictions. You know that a distracting thought or emotion could get you buried face down in the snow. The run is so perfect that you want it to last forever. If skiing does not mean much to you, this complete immersion in an experience could occur while you're singing in a choir dancing, playing bridge, or reading a good book. If you love your job, it could happen during a complicated surgical operation or a close business deal. It may occur in social interaction, when talking with a good friend or while playing with a baby. Moments such as these provide flashes of intense living against the dull background of everyday life. These exceptional moments are what I have called flow experiences. So, you have flow? It's interesting to think about. Um, you know, if you don't have it, you might need to quit your job or rearrange your life to get more of these experiences. It's, it's interesting he calls it flow because that's a water term, right? Um, and Jesus uses the water analogy when he promises this woman in this story the living water. In a sense, he's promising her flow, of a different kind, and they're different. They are different. In the book, Flow, the psychologist version, uh, flow is something that you have temporarily. You have moments of it. You have flashes of it. And at, the, at best, you can, you can construct a life where you patch a bunch of experiences of flow together and try to have lots of them. Jesus talks about his living water, and it has permanence. He says it this way. <clears throat> Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He's talking about the water in the well. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a, in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's 
permanence. There's steadiness, predictability to it. Another key difference is that for the psychologist version of flow, you, you, can, you have to you know, position your life in such a way that you have these experiences. You have to put yourself on that ski slope. You know? if, you're, if you hate your job and don't have flow in your job, you have to switch jobs and find where you can get it in another job. Um, you have to plan a project that's going to make you feel really good and lose track of time because you're enjoying it so much. You, know, you have to... If it's me, I have to put in time on my banjo to you know, get to the point where I'm in an aesthetic, rapturous flow as I jam with people. You know? Flow. And Jesus says, Jesus' living water is just receive it. And he'll do the rest. Just receive it. So it's a totally different kind of thing. And Jesus is trying to get this woman's life to open up to it in, in conversation at this this actual well of actual water, but he turns it on itself and it becomes a metaphor. You can notice right away that this is a woman who has her guard up. She has a guarded heart. The whole interaction feels like she's putting him at arm's length, trying to not let this grace, this living water, this goodness of Jesus pierce in. And Jesus, through his interaction with her, is piercing through her heart exterior and it's beginning to transform her. And you can see three, three movements of transformation that are critical to her and critical to you if you're going to open yourself up to God's grace, to his living water. God's grace redirects her objections. God's grace relieves her fear of rejection. And God's grace replaces her false well. All right, so let's start with the first one. Redirects your objections. Does this to all of us. Normally, we find a comfort zone in doctrine, actually. It might be surprising to say that, but doctrine and theology and philosophical arguments and objections can be a real comfort zone that we use to put God at arm's length. And you see the woman doing this throughout the interaction at various points. She's basically saying, as she says, things like, well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. And she says, oh, are you greater than Jacob? And... Um, and then finally, well, the Messiah will come and he'll explain. She's using all, she's hitting all these contemporary doctrinal points that she knows between Jews and Samaritans of the day. There's differing opinions. She's using them as if to say to Jesus, let's keep this very impersonal and safe. Let's not go deep here. Let's not have an interaction where we get to know one another. Let's, let's just, let's stay protected by the comfort of debate and argument. Have you ever done that in your life with God? I'm sure if you haven't, you know someone who, who's doing that. It's a, very, it's a comfort zone. And what Jesus does is he redirects the objections. And consistently throughout the story, he's, he's, he's rubbing off a little bit like that person who says, well, enough about me. What do you think about me? You know, he, he, you almost get the sense like he's self-absorbed because every objection she has, he, he keeps kind of turning it back to himself. I don't know if you caught that. Um, you know, what, what, Jesus, what about, um, you know, asking for water from a Samaritan? And, he, and then he's like, well, you should ask about the water I can give. And I have this living water and it'll spring up. You know, he keeps bringing it back to himself. And then by the end, he's saying, she's saying something about Messiah. And she says, that's me. I'm the Messiah. He, he has no problem bringing it back to himself in one sense. You have to grapple with that, that Jesus does that in your interactions with him. If you open your, begin at all to open yourself up to Jesus, 
Um, he takes a lot of your objections in your attempt to keep them at arm's length, and, he, and he, sh- he shows you that you need him to enter into those objections. He shows you that, in a sense, what you need most as you're guarding and putting walls up, what you need most is to let him in and let him make sense of why you're so thirsty, you know, why, why you have this spiritual, emotional thirst that you've, you're putting these questions and objections up as a as a way of just responding to being thirsty. Stop using old conversation tactics to avoid me, is what Jesus is basically saying in this passage. And what it's doing for the woman is that as he peels back the layers, we're getting underneath the surface of those theological objections. We're getting into painful realities of this woman's life. So secondly, not only does Jesus redirect your objections and bring them to himself, he also relieves your fear of rejection. I want you to get underneath the emotions that this woman would have um, in this interaction a little bit. She's a Samaritan woman. And um, we know from Jewish writings of the first century that, well, Samaritans, it was very clear that Samaritans were, were considered lesser than Jews, that Jews saw them as an unclean people. There's a lot of history in that I won't go into, but they saw them basically as violators of a lot of what God's holiness was all about, and so they would try to keep distance from Samaritans. And then there's even this, to add a little bit of personal touch to this story, there's a quote um, that scholars have come across in Jewish writings that say that a Samaritan woman is a menstruant from birth which is just a really below-the-belt way of saying, um, you know, writing you off completely and disposing of you. You are, you know, there's just uncleanness, spiritually speaking, around you that we need to avoid you, that getting in touch with you, being close to you, that interacting would actually, in the Jewish way of thinking, would actually make me now unclean before God. Would, it would jeopardize to interact with you if you're a Samaritan woman. It would jeopardize my connection to God because you are so disconnected and disposable when it comes to God. That was really their, their belief. Okay, so you, if you have that stored away, you kind of know that that's what's behind this interaction, then I want you to think through this, what we read just a minute ago, a little bit different. <clears throat> now picture... Jesus is sitting there, and the woman walks up, starts drawing water, and picture her back turned to him. He's about 20 feet away, and he says, will you give me a drink? And it's a short enough sentence, and he's far enough away that she doesn't catch his ethnicity yet. And so she's drawing up the water. Perhaps just, okay, I'll give it to him just because I want to avoid whatever this interaction is going to be. Just picture that this is a possibility for how it went down. So she gets the water, she turns around, she walks, and as she gets closer and closer to him, she sees it. He's Jewish. And so the shock, and she begins to walk a little slower, and she's holding this pail of water and the confusion on her face, till finally she's close to him, and she says softly, just out of confusion, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? She knows. She knows the theology. She knows the beliefs. She knows if he reaches over and touches or takes it that he's drinking in uncleanness. So you know that that's going on. And then picture Jesus taking a step towards her as she 
is preparing for the rejection and the mockery and the sheer just feeling like, here I go again. Here comes the alienation. Here comes the pushing away and the mocking. And Jesus takes a step towards her, puts his hand millimeters away from hers on the pail. She's in shock. He draws it back to himself. And before he takes a drink, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she's stunned. He has just done it. He has crossed the barrier. He has said to her, loud and clear, there's something about you that I refuse. I refuse to do what everyone else is doing and writing you off and alienating you and rejecting you. For a second, she realizes here is somebody who confidently is crossing a barrier to show her a lavish acceptance that she is never shown by anyone ever. And he does it confidently. As, and he looks her in the eye as if he's doing it on purpose and it has some kind of weight behind it. And before she can come up with her next objection, I'm guessing she's a little speechless and choked up and can't figure out, could this be... This can't be true. He's piercing right into her fear of rejection. Um, It's really a quintessential Jesus move where he takes on, physically takes on the pollution, brings it to himself, drinks in the uncleanness, and at the same time is offering her to get what he has, the clean, pure water. That's Jesus' life. That's Jesus on the cross. In a sense, taking on even our own thirst. When when he says on the cross, I thirst, he's going in our place. And what we get is our thirst satisfied. We get the living water. That's what he's doing with her. And uh, you can just only imagine blowing her mind as as her interaction with him now is going to the core of her issues of rejection um, and validation. Has Jesus come in close with you? Has he come in on your fears of rejection and alienation? Have you ever ever sat with a sense that you couldn't push away, a sense of, I'm not worthy? A sense that I should wonder whether God will accept me? What do I have to maybe do? God knows about this, God knows about that. Does does the sense of the fear of rejection ever cloud your life? Jesus walks right through it and says, I accept you. I bring grace. Has he done that with you yet? Um, And then thirdly, so so Jesus redirects your objectives. His grace relieves your fear of rejection and then he replaces your source of spiritual drink. He replaces your well or your false well. When you encounter Jesus, his grace um, eventually must at some point begin to do business with the stagnant waters that you're drawing from in your life, spiritually speaking. We, we have a habit of um, choosing to draw from dirty puddles and cesspools of stagnation. We have a habit of drawing our identity and our purpose and our... Um, kind of our vibrancy in life 
from places that are polluted and contaminated, contaminated wells. And Jesus, when... What, see, what happens here is, is at this crucial point, and it happens in verse 14. Um, actually, no, it happens in verse 16. This crucial point when she shows openness to receive the flow of Jesus, the living water of Jesus, when she shows openness and says, and, and you kind of don't know if she's trying to call his bluff or how much if she's really thinking he's got something to offer her. I'll go with the latter. I think she's opening up a little bit and saying, I, I think I want what you have. And she says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's showing an openness to what Jesus has, but she's, there's still one crucial thing that hasn't happened. She hasn't identified the, the polluted well that needs to be replaced by the well of living water that is Jesus and his grace. And so Jesus goes there. He says, go, call your husband and come back. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you don't. You have, you've had five, and the one you're with isn't your husband. So you're right, you, you don't have a husband. What is he doing? This word husband comes up a lot. You know, this, The idea is Jesus has just pinpointed a truth in her life, a place she is going for her validation, for her purpose, for her identity. She's going to men. And it's, the track record is not good. She is, it's not providing for her probably a lot of why the walls are up with her with jesus here's another man jesus goes okay you're ready for my grace you think you want it okay let's get busy let's talk about the well let's talk about where you're going for your validation for your identity for knowing that you're okay where do you go for that you can be sure if you open yourself up to jesus that he's going to say have me, it has to start to take over that. And quite, you know, quite frankly, we, we get in these places a lot where we feel like, you know, God has seemed distant lately. Or I, kind of, I believe in God's grace. I believe in forgiveness. I want it. But I, it, it seems kind of distant and dry and dead for me right now. A, there's a good chance that if you feel that way, that it's because in the midst of being open to God's grace and Jesus' grace, you haven't yet turned and looked at what is the well that needs to be replaced by God's grace that I'm drawing from? That's where Jesus goes. And it's super easy to not go there. It's super easy, friends, to be a superficial Christian or superficial spiritual person, to do things on the outside, maybe to come to church, maybe to pray here and there. But true transformation happens when you begin to let Jesus do business with your false wells. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would, um, if we have our guard up with theological objections, that you would turn them into a a path that leads to you. God, we pray that if we have... um, issues of acceptance and validation, fears of rejection, that you would come and show us your acceptance. And we pray that if, if we have areas of pollution and contamination and wells that we are drawing from that aren't producing, that you would redirect our attention towards those to identify them and to invite you in to become the well of living water for us. We often don't even know how to start or how to do that. We pray that you help us through your Holy Spirit. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.